Well, good morning. Well, y'all quiet. Good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. We live for purpose. This is good stuff. And I'm glad that you are with me today as we continue our series about being centered on Christ. How do we worship God even with our time? And this is part of a year-long thing that our church has been going through very beginning this year, how to worship God with all of our lives. Like Jesus said, God is spirit. His worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth with our whole lives. How do we do that? And aren't you glad that God, he talks about how to worship him, not just in some ethereal way, but, but tells us there are practical ways that God wants us to center our life on him, right? That, that he says, worship me with your, your, your treasure, right? God says he invites us to worship him with our things, which is crazy. Like we could center our budgets around him. We could center him, like that's the whole part of tithing. It's the whole part of our gifts and offerings of saying, God, your priorities first, that so you own everything and all of me and all things. And so I'm going to base my life around you. And he says, when you do that, he says, I'll take care of you. That's great. And God says, you can worship him with your talents that he gave you, by the way. I think that's pretty awesome to think about that the gifts and the abilities that you have God wired those into you, and it says in God's Word that He did that so that you could be His minister in this world, that you could live your life for great things. In fact, not just so that you could do other great things for other people, but that we can work together as a body of Christ, that He made you to fit perfectly here, that your gifts and abilities match. It's fantastic, and that's why we did our Say Yes ministry. We talked about that and how we can begin serving God in such a way with our own talents and our gifts and our abilities. And so, uh, so we've talked about how we can worship God with our things and how we can worship God with our talents. And now we're talking about how we worship God with the most valuable asset that any of us ever have is our time. Right? You, you can't make more time. People say, I'll make time for that. No, you won't. You don't get to make time. God makes time. God makes time and he gives some to each of us. But it's not a gift. He entrusts time to us for a very short period while we walk this earth. And it says that in the last day, when we go and we meet with our Creator, it says that we're going to give an account for how we spent this time and how we spent our resources and how we spent our gifts. We're going to have to talk to Him and, and give an account. How did we spend His things? And that's going to be, a, hopefully, a good day for you. I hope that it is for me. And that's what we're talking about now. How do we worship is just whatever our life revolves around. Right? It's, it's, it's investing God's resources and God's priorities. Our time, our talent, our treasure, all of it. So I know that sometimes like time management and how we think about our days kind of may sound boring or thinking about our budgets or thinking about, you know, serving, volunteering. But these are the heart and the core of, of our lives as long as Christ is in the middle of them. Right? You can give and not worship God. Right? You can do that. And you can go and you can serve and not worship God. Right? And you can actually be really religious and be at church and, and keep a Sabbath and, and have all that kind of stuff. And you can do all those things and be really great as a time manager and you can still miss worshiping God. Right? You can do all those things and miss God. But I'll tell you this, is you can't claim to be a worshiper if you don't worship God with your things and your times and your talents. It, the doing those things is not worship themselves, but their avenues for it, their invitations. So we're going to talk about now how do we as people, as Americans, as some of the most busy, crazy people on the entire planet, in the entire history of mankind, how do we worship God even with our, our time? And that's what this series is about, full-time worshipers. Not just worshiping God once a week, but our entire lives revolving around God, having Him at the center. And the great thing is, is that when God is at the center of our life, our world 
held, is held into place. It's kind of like when the, the earth rotates around the sun, things kind of work. Can you imagine if there was something with less gravity than the sun? Our world would fly into chaos. And how many, is that true for so many people that their lives fly into chaos because what their life is revolving around is too small? So many people in our world, their life revolves around tiny things like uh, themselves, right? Like pleasure or success that's not going to last forever, right? God invites us to have our lives revolve around Him, and only He can make our lives come together to fall into place that there's a right kind of balance, a right kind of living. You've been called out of a, a dead way of life, having our worlds just, just uh, fall off kilter, and to come together as God's people and to center our lives on Him. And that's why last week, as we began this series, I talked about something that I know can sound boring, but as profound as how we manage our time. It's just like if you want to worship God with your things, if you want to be able to be a tither, how are you going to do that if you don't have a budget? If you can't plan to, to honor God first, why would you think that you're going to honor God at all? It's the same thing with our time. If you don't have a handle on your time, if your time just kind of flies out and you just don't know what's going to happen with your time, you get to the end of the day, you're like, whoo, that was crazy. Didn't know what's going to happen. How can we possibly say that you're making God a priority? It's going to go somewhere. So we need to budget our time. And that is all what we talked about doing a, a, a daily plan, a weekly plan, a monthly plan. How do we manage our time? That's what it's about. So if you need help with that or you missed it, there's a sermon that we did last week. It's on our website, funchurch.com. It's on our Facebook page and YouTube or wherever else we're all places. But you can also come and chat with me. And I know that there's some folks that are part of our church that are really great with time management as well. And if you need somebody to come alongside to walk beside you to help you set your schedule to start living according to making the most of every day, let us know. We will help you. That's what the church does. Now, the reason we started with that is, is so we could begin budgeting our time so then we could make God's priorities ours. And that's what we're going to talk about today, tomorrow, uh, today, next week, and the week afterwards. Today, we're going to talk about how do we worship God daily? How do we start our day so that every single day revolves around Christ? How do we put Christ at the middle of every single day? And to do that, at first, to set our heart and our mind on the right place so we're ready to receive God's Word. His challenge on that is our memory verse for this series comes to us in Ephesians chapter 5, and it says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. And a powerful passage. Now, we started last week memorizing it, and I tell you that God's Word has the ability to help us, doesn't it? So like this week, there was some times where I was going through it, uh, my week, and it was a busy week, right? Because I'm getting ready to go to a conference next week, and, and football just ended, and that gives me a different chunk of time back into my schedule, and there were some things that I put off until football ended so I could get, so I was a little busy, right? So there was some chaos and some things that were happening, and I wanted to make sure that uh, I, I was feeling stressed. And this passage came to my mind, because I try to run through it, you know, every day, at least, you know, but it... Lord brought it to my mind, be very, you know, very careful in how you live, right? Because the temptation was for me, even though I'm in the habit, I make my, my plan every single day. Like I go through and I make my schedule. That's one of the things I do in the morning and I get my stuff. The, the, the temptation was don't do that. Don't waste my thinking that five minutes setting your schedule, right? Just get to work. Just start doing, right? Because all these tasks that were getting there and throwing those things in. And when I was just starting to to go into a bad habit and think, well, I'm not going to do my schedule today, even though I just preached on it, right? So what pops into my head? Be very careful then how you live. Oh, 
Yeah, I do have to number my time. All right, I'll make sure that I get the right things done. Right? It kept me on track. That's the power of God's Word. And you know what was cool? Because I had God's Word telling me to do this, is it recentered my priorities on His priorities. Because there were some urgent things that seemed urgent, right? They were like, I got to get done. But when I thought about them, they were not really all that important. They were just urgent, right? There were things were like, hey, you got to do this. I was like, do I really? No, no, I don't really have to do those things. And I got to live and do, uh, set my time doing the things that were most important. Be very careful. And it reminded me that how I live each day matters because the days are evil. Right? We live in a time that we are in the middle of the battle. I don't have time to waste. See, that's the power of God's Word. It helps change how we live, doesn't it? So that our life is fruitful and purposeful. So I invite you, if you haven't had a chance to memorize that passage, right? then I invite you to do that. And we've even created a tool for you to help. So it's on your connection card, which I hope you all filled out. But it's on there, and it's perforated, right? It's like a business card, and you can take that and just pull it off and take it with you. Right, So that God's Word can be in your heart and with you and, and before your eyes so it can help shape how we live so that you can make the most of every opportunity. Sound good? All right. Now you have that. Let's get into our Bibles. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1 today. That's going to be on page 370. Psalms are great because if you take your Bible and you just kind of split it in half, that's where Psalms usually live. So um, that's easy to find. But if you need the page, it's page 375, Psalm 1. And... Uh, if you have one of our Bibles, if you need a Bible, you forgot yours today, don't worry about it. We've, we're a church, got lots of them by the sound booth there. And if you absolutely need a Bible, you don't have one, keep it. It'll be our gift to you. Now, Psalms, as you're turning there, are a, it's a book of lyrics. That's what Psalms are. They're music lyrics that were worship songs. So I thought it was a fitting place for us to be talking about worship, right? And so uh, we're going to start Psalm 1, of course, at the very beginning of all this. Now, it's a collection of a lot of different songs. In fact, Psalms is divided up into five major collections, like five major scrolls that would have reminded the people of Israel of, of the five books of Moses. And the Psalms, they talk about the, the uh, three major movements of, of Israelite history. Uh, the first two books of Psalms begin and really kind of talk about the kingdom. So you have King David, right? The United Kingdom that was there. King David writes a lot of those in the first two books and, and there, so a lot of his Psalms are in there. And then the, the middle one, the third book or the third uh, collection, really talks about it's the, uh, uh, when God's people were, were brought into um, Babylon, when they were away from God. And so those psalms are, are kind of uh, heavy and sad. Talk about when in your life when you feel uh, separated from God, when you're going through chastisement, you're going through brokenness, you're going through remorse, or all that kind of stuff. Those psalms are there kind of in the middle of the book of psalms. And then the last two uh, collections talk about the return, how God bring, brought the people back to the kingdom, the land of Israel, right after the 70 years. And those two last books are really uh, songs of worship and ascent and, and joy and purpose. It's, it's an amazing thing. And in this, it doesn't just tell the story of Israelite history, but it also tells our history as well, right? That each of us as people, that we were designed to, to be with God, to be united with Him, but we fell away. There was a separation between us and God, and there's a brokenness that we dwell within. But then, thanks be to God, He brought Christ and has brought us back into relationship with Him. Isn't that amazing? So the book of Psalms, I encourage you, can, you get value by reading through them, right? You get to see this movement of God, how He works through history and through human lives. But also in each one of these little areas, these, these individual Psalms speak about different areas of truth or, or 
uh, that impact our lives. These are music lyrics, so they're art, right? They're, they're like poems. They're deep. It's not just like reading a textbook, right? They, they talk about incredible deep truths. And so we start that book off, this whole book of Psalms, much like the Bible starts in Genesis 1. It talks about the purpose, the way things are supposed to be, and the consequences when, if we get it wrong. So in Psalm chapter 1, hopefully all that gave you enough time to turn there, it says this. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So that kind of the beginning sets the heart and the tone for all of Psalms, but also the movement of God and man in us. The beginning that God created us to be united with Him, to grow in Him, to be fruitful in Him, to crease and, and to do amazing things. And yet, there's a different way we can live that leads to death. Right? And I find in this passage, this chapter, we're talking about centering and worshiping God with our very time. It speaks about this. Right? Meditating on God's Word day and night. There's a power in that. You know, meditating in God's Word day and night, meeting with God every day, I have a word for that. As Christians, we have lots of different ways that we like to talk about our meditation time or whatever. I like to call it my quiet time. And the reason I call it a quiet time is this. The world is noisy, isn't it? It's telling you all the time, do this, do that, live this way, think this way, all this kind of stuff. The world's always telling us stuff. And our, our worlds are just crazy, especially us. We've got cell phones dinging all the time. And we've got tweets that are popping up. and right. We've got news that's rah, 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 all the time and media and songs and all that kind of stuff. world is noisy. And not only that, but then we have these, these things in our heads called our brains, which are also noisy. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever like, tried to tell your brain to shut up? Like you're trying to fall asleep and it just keeps going, blah, 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 right? And all the time it's just, blah, 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 blah. do this, do that, right? Think these things, all that kind of stuff. All of this input, right, can be exhausting. God invites us to be with Him and to stop. Be quiet. What a wonderful rest is that, right? To meditate on Him and to stop talking and telling just to listen, to hear. It's one of the most refreshing things that you will ever do is to just be quiet. So I want to talk today about this passage, how it talks about what I'm going to call a quiet time, to meet with God daily. Why would we do that? What does this verse teach us about that as well as some of the rest of scriptures? And the first thing I want you to see about quiet times is that quiet time is protective. The reason we meet with God is because it protects us. And I'm not kidding about this. It's really important. Psalm chapter one, verse, uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, nor stand in the way that sinners take, nor sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is on the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Right? That if we are not meditating on God and His Word, day and night, what happens to people? Well, typically, we get into trouble. Did you know that people are impressionable? 
but you're impressionable. And that's not bad. That's good. Can you imagine how awful life would be if you were like a little robot that you were like born and then like, that's just how you are. You're just like a little person. I'll always be the same. I will never change. I'm just me, right? It would be so awful, right? If, if there was no growth in you, if you never adapted or changed or anything like that, you'd be the most boring person. Because once I got to know you, that's all there would ever be to know. Right? One of the things that God made into us is he made us ever-growing, ever-changing, wonderful, new, that we were designed to be impressed upon and, and to change by that. And, and we are then influenced naturally. It's part of our design by the things that are around us. Right? So we will be impressed by our friends and by culture and by history and by our experience and all of those things change how we are. I mean, that's how we explain cultures, isn't it? I mean, if, if you ever went to, like, I don't know, Japan, there are people, that their culture is a little different, isn't it? I mean, they eat different foods, like squids and stuff like that, right? Raw fish, they love it. Like they, it's, they, they, they have a different way of, of living. Why? Is it because genetically they're just predispositioned to live that way? No, because you could take somebody from North America, set them over in Japan, and if you grew up there, they would act Japanese, the reason that the Japanese act like Japanese is because they've been impressed by their culture. It changes how they live. And it's the same for us, right? Americans have a different kind of culture. We have a different way of thinking and doing things and all that. Why do you live the way you live? What's being impressed upon? Right? The values, the ways of our culture, the norms, all of these things impact us and change us. Now, I want to ask you, well, honestly, do you, if you look at our culture that we live with now, do you think that the culture that we live in today is going to be the exact same culture as when we get to heaven? Do you see that the culture of the kingdom of God, is it going to look exactly like our culture here? Yeah, probably not, right? There's going to be some things that are the same, but there's going to be probably a few things that will be different, right? The kingdom of God is going to look maybe a little different than northern Colorado, right? In fact, I would say if you went anywhere in the world, you could say the truth that it's the same thing, that there is no culture in the world that matches the kingdom perfectly, right? So if you are just left on your own, you're going to adapt and be impressed upon this just culture, and we're going to live like everybody else, right? But you're not just like everybody else. You're God's child. We did a whole series. This is the last one called Identity. talks about that, who we truly are. The truest thing I've ever said about you is what God says about you and who you are. You are a new person in Christ. There's a new way to live, a better way to live, right? How are you supposed to live that? Well, you have to let God impress upon you who He is. And so God protects us from just living like everyone when we spend time with Him. And in three very important ways, you'll see in the Word how it does it. The first thing that God protects us from is He keeps us from evil living. That's what it says there, the blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps of the wicked. He's not talking about following wicked people. You're like, oh, there's an axe murderer. Let me just follow him. His very steps. That's not what it's talking about. It's like, he's saying, you don't live like wicked people. Our culture can be pretty wicked. How is it that you're not going to live like the wickedness that's in our culture? You're going to meditate on God's Word day and night. You're going to know who God is. You're going to spend time with God. You're going to center around Him. It's going to protect you from that so you don't live fruitless lives, lives that lead to wickedness. The second thing that it protects us from is it protects us from having, having a... Um, Evil identity, a wrong identity. It says there, 
who protects us from not walking the way of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. You know, stand in the way that sinners take is this. It, it's, it's basically my identity. I'm going to stand around the sinners because that's who I am with, right? I'm one of them. I'm just like the rest of culture. And the thing that God's Word helps us to do is identify with who we truly are now. You used to be dead and just like everybody else in this world that was needing salvation, but no longer. If, you are a, if you've come to Jesus by faith, you've received His grace and a new identity. Now, the old person that used to be is no longer who you are. Now you're alive in Christ. It's life that you now live in the flesh. You live by faith of the grace of God, right? And this is a powerful thing. How do, how do we gain that identity? How do we stop saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm just like everyone else. No, I am, I am in Christ. Where do I get that new identity? We own it when we see who that identity is, when we spend time with God, and we listen to who He says we are. And isn't it amazing that what we believe about ourselves oftentimes impacts how we live? It's, it's huge. And so God's Word, spending time with Him regularly, hearing what God says who I am, protects me from gaining or holding on to wrong identities. Things like, I'm not good enough, I'm not loved, I'm alone, I'm not able to do this, right? It's hopeless, I'm hopeless. All of those things. Lies. God says, you're my child. I'm enough. I'm sufficient in you. I love you and my grace will never run out. Right? I have got the power in you to, to, to make you more than an overcomer, even today, even in this. And I'm a redeemer. So even if you messed up something, I'm big enough that I'm going to work together for your good and the good of my kingdom. So take that. That's the power of our God. So how do we get that identity? We have to be protected from the rest of the world telling us we're one thing or ourselves telling us we're one thing or the enemy telling us we're one thing. We have to spend time in God's Word so we can hear who we really are. The third thing that we find in here that God protects us from is, is bad company. Right? So we're not impressed the wrong way. Look what it says. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the step of the wicked, doesn't stand in the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Right? We're influenced by all kinds of things, and typically those that are closest to us influence us the most. Now, God's not telling us here to not be around not sinful people. Jesus spent time with all kinds of people that were sinful. Right? He's not telling us that you have to be you know, Puritan and go live on a holy hill or something like that and just be separated from those sinful people because you're sinful. What he's saying is sitting in the company of, of the mockers. Right? Not that I draw my identity with them, but all of a sudden I'm allowing them to influence me. So I become a mucker. God's Word protects us from that. It allows me to be in the world, but not be impressed by it. It allows God to impress His righteousness upon me so that I can be in the world in the light of Christ, even in dark spaces. It's what gives me the shield and the protection. But a Christian who tries to go out into the world and shine for Christ, who is separated from the Word of God, is going to burn out, is going to be changed by this world. Their witness will grow dark. They will grow hopeless, and oftentimes they turn against Christ. If you want to be safe in your faith, spend time with God. Spend time in His Word. second thing that we find that, uh, that God's Word does for us is this, is it's nurturing. Quiet time is nurturing for us. It actually feeds our souls. Look what it says here in uh, verses 3 and 4. It says, The person that meditates on God's law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in its season whose leaf does not wither 
Whatever they do prospers. Do you want to be that person? I would say, if there's a forest, fun, fun fact about trees is they have a hard time moving. Right? Because they're rooted. That's where they are. It's like where they start growing. That's just where it happens to be. And some trees grow up next to streams, and it's great for them. And then maybe there's another tree 20 feet down. The, that's why I think trees don't have eyeballs, because then they get envious. Right? Because there'd be some tree that's maybe like a half a mile away or a quarter mile away and sees another tree. It's just like, you lucky. <laughs> you got the stream. I can't get there. Right? How miserable would that be? And you see trees. We can tell where, where there's moisture or, or where the water is even under the ground because you can see where the good trees grow, right? The answer is yes. Have you ever like, looked on um, Google Earth and you like, look to see where things are and you can tell where the underground streams are or where the rivers are because you can see where the paths of green are, the trees are at? I'll say it, we were designed to grow when we're well watered. Just like trees were designed to grow when they're well watered. Now, the difference between trees and people is that we can move. A lot of us grew up in the desert, spiritually, dry, withered, you know, contorted. And God invites us to plant our lives close to the stream and to draw uh, from a river that never runs out, living water. So, you know, if you, if you do that, you're going to be fed. I think it's, it's a powerful thing that when we allow ourselves to meditate on God's Word day and night, that's what it says, that's where the stream is. It's His Word, it's living water for our soul. It says there's some powerful things, good things that happen for us. It says we're going to yield fruit in its season. You know, not every season is fruitful, right? That doesn't mean that you're broken. Like if you look at the trees right now outside, a lot of times you, if you thought trees were just like that all the time, you're like, these are lousy trees, especially the broadleaves. Like, well, that's a dead tree. But it might not be a dead tree. It might be a very healthy tree. It's just a wrong season. And there's sometimes in our lives, people might look at us and say, well, that guy, I don't see any, a lot of fruit in there. No, God's at work. It's just the wrong season. God's doing something. But I'll tell you this, in the right season, if you connect with God's word and you connect with God, you will be fruitful. Right? Even the times that look dead will be beneficial. And so it says they yield fruit in a season. And whose leaf does not wither. How cool is that? That God will sustain us. Even in droughts. Even in hard times. That God will not let us falter or fail. That His promises and provision will carry us through worry, through pain, through difficulty, through through adversity. That our life is not just based upon who I am, but is sustained by Him. I think that we find that what you do prospers. Do you want to live a life that actually matters, that what you put your hand to is the right thing? Well, sometimes we have to make sure we're doing the right thing. How do we know we're doing the right thing? We have to listen to God. He knows what's best for us. Spend time with His Word. It doesn't just sustain us, but it also keeps us walking in faith. So we don't have this capacity or this temptation. We'll give into it to separate ourselves from Him. Now, I could have the best tree in the world, but if I fail to take care of it, I fail to water it, what's going to happen? It's going to die, right? It's going to get all dry and all that, and it's going to die. It's going to be lousy. I could have a mediocre subpar tree, right? But if I plant that subpar tree by a stream, it's going to do better than the greatest tree in the world who's separated from any type of moisture. Isn't that true? God has made you amazing. You're not a subpar tree, by the way. You're incredible. And he says he invites you to be planted by him. 
It's the tree it will do whatever a tree does, and you will do whatever God designed you to do, but you can only do that if you're powered by God, if you have his, the nutrient of his word feeding your spirit. That's why Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can't do anything, he said. That's amazing. But he says, in him, if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. Not you might, you will. You were designed to. That your life will be fruitful, that there will be good things that happen because of your life. You will be a blessing to those around you and in the church and all kinds of things. If you remain in Christ, that's connecting with him daily. It's to be nurtured in your very soul by Christ. You know, one of the things I have a privilege of doing in our community, I spend some time and I get to coach football. And one of the things that is so important in any sport is not just the time at practice. Right? If the boys show practice, but they're malnourished, they're not eating, or they're not resting, they're not taking time, and they're not sleeping well, and all that kind of stuff, and they're abusing their bodies, then I could be teaching them the best things in the world, and they're going to be horrible, right? They need to make sure that they are rested and well-fed, right? Then they're able to do all the things and take the training that I want them to have, right? If it's so true for something as simple as a sport, how much more is it for your very soul and your very life? A lot of us want to go and live these lives of, of doing great things for God, but I think sometimes we just separate from God so much that, that we get so exhausted that we just want to survive another day. And we wonder, why is it, what happened? Why we're not able to, to, to live a victorious life in Christ? Why does it just feel like the world is so heavy? Well, sometimes it's because we separated from Him. We've gone to practice, but we haven't fed ourselves. We've never rested. The Word of God, it says here, if you, those who meditate on God's Word day and night are going to be like those trees that are planted right by an everlasting spring. That's where our success begins. That's where our fruitfulness begins. But also it gives us a warning. It says, not so the wicked, they are like shaft that blows, or the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Like the wicked, they don't connect with God. And that's probably why they're wicked. Right? Everybody wants to do what's right, don't we? we? Most people, even sinful people, think that they're doing what's right. That's why like before Sodom and Gomorrah, it said everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, even though they were doing horrible, awful things. 
They were separated from God. They didn't know His Word. They were impressed by the brokenness of this world, and it broke them, and it broke their society. And they all the time thought that they were moral while doing it. But because they were separated from God's Word, they did not have the strength, the, the inner fortitude of the soul to stand against the withering effect of sin in this world. And so what happened to them? Well, for those of us who got to go to Israel this year, we got to see. They got torched and then covered by an ocean of water that is now salt that nothing will grow in. That is not the legacy that I want to leave at all. If we live our lives apart from God's Word, oftentimes we live for small and, and fruitless things. Our life becomes like chaff. you ever seen chaff? It's, it's, um, when I was in the, went to college in the Midwest, and we would help sometimes with farmers when I was, and uh, they, would, they would hire the football players, so we would go out, and, and uh, they had these machines. Luckily, not to do forks anymore, but they had machines, and they'd spin around, and they'd have these fans that would blow through, and there'd be chaff that would blow up around, and it was awful because it would make your eyes itchy, and it was just the worst stuff. And you were like, I wish the world didn't have chaff at all. God, why did you create chaff? It's awful, right? It's nasty stuff. And, and they spent a lot of money to get rid of it, these farmers, so that way they could sell their grains for what, they're, what they really want to do. It's just the worthless stuff. And I say this, what it says here is oftentimes when we live our life apart from God, when we're empty and dry and weak, our lives, the things that we produce instead of fruit, is like chaff. It just is irritating. We become an irritant to others, and the things that we do produces just worthlessness. If we want to live better than that, we need to be nurtured better than that. And the cool thing is that God shows us exactly how. He says, spend time with me. I will feed your soul. Now, the third thing that we say that God's word connecting with him, a quiet time does, is it connects us with God. It's connecting. You weren't meant to just exist. In Genesis 1, it says that God made us in his image. Balaam and Philemon made us in his image, right? But he did that. He, he wanted us to, to be part of his creation, to do things with us. And he made us a little different than everything else. He formed everything else out of just speaking. But you and me, uh, humans, he handcrafted out of the clay, out of this earth, but then he breathed his own spirit into us. You weren't just spoken. You were crafted. That You carry the very breath of God. How amazing is that, that God wants you to be close to him? So close that even after we denied him and we sinned and we separated ourselves from him, he came and became one of us. So that way we could be called his children, adopted into his family. That is amazing. God has designed us to be connected. And look what it says here in verses uh, 5 and 6. It says, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So we connect first when we're spending time with God is where we connect by His grace. Look what it says, that the wicked don't stand on the day of judgment. Why? Because they're still guilty of their sin. Right? How is it that any of us can stand on the day of judgment? When we stand before God, are any of you sinless? Because if you are, you should be preaching, not me, because I'm pretty simple. All of us, sinful. All of us need grace. Why is it then on the day of judgment when we do have that exit interview and we have to give an account for our life that we're not terrified? Because there's no punishment for us. John tells us, 1 John, that there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. That's why the one who fears has not been made perfect in love. We don't fear God anymore. We know His grace. We know that we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So when that day comes, we will stand in the day of justice 
because we will know that all the wrongs that I have done, that Christ will look at me and he will see everything that I've done. And he says, I have taken it. And I died with those sins on the cross. They have been paid for. That's why we will stand. And the reason that I will have that confidence is I know his word. I've spent time with God. But the wicked don't have that. They listen to the world. They're impressed by the world that you're only as religious as you are, you know, you do the right things. Now, I'm saved because I have the right Savior. It's a big difference. And I need to know that Savior. That's why Jesus says in the last time, like, he'll separate people and there'll be some on one side of him and he'll say, hey, listen, you've got to get away from me. I don't even know you. And they're like, hey, we did all the right religious stuff. How can you say you didn't know me? And he's like, well, you didn't ever act like you knew me. Never, you never sought me. You just did things for you. You didn't love other people. You didn't love me. You didn't know me. The best way to get to know somebody and love them is spend time with them. Wouldn't we agree? Get to know God. Spend time with Him. It connects you to Him. It helps you see His heart. What's valuable to God becomes valuable to you. I think what also it connects us not just to God, that, that we, we stand with Him in grace, but also connects us to the church. Look what it says next on there. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Who's the assembly of the righteous? Believe it or not, it's you and me. How crazy is that? We're the assembly of the righteous. And I look at myself sometimes, I don't feel so righteous. But I look at Christ and I recognize that because of Him I am. And that I wasn't just called to be righteous alone, but together. That's the assembly. We call that church. When I spend time with God regularly, His values, His priorities become mine, become important to me. And some of the most important things to God is His family, His children. And He says, I want you to come together. I want you to belong here. God's Word helps me belong here. Oftentimes, Christians, they go and they come to church and they feel like, I don't connect. Well, oftentimes, it's because they don't know the Word well enough. They don't know their place well enough. To spend time with God regularly, you will feel at home in any church, no matter where you go, because you're with your father and you're with his kids. It's just like going to a, sometimes a little bit of a strange family reunion. You know, some churches are a little awkward, but still home. That's how we connect. It's the Word of God that connects us, isn't it? And the more time I spend with God, He says fascinating things. God says stuff that confuses me and blows my mind and sometimes makes me angry and frustrated, but He says some really cool stuff. Right? He comes up with way better ideas than I do, and I want to be around other people that want to talk about those ideas, about those things, that understand who God is and understand His love too. It helps me connect. And so if we want to connect, if you want to be nurtured, you want to connect, you want to grow, you spend time with God, you start with Him. But it's not just connecting with one another. It connects us with him and his purposes in our life, right? Verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked lead to destruction. You want to have God's will directing your life? You've got to listen to his directions. You have to listen to his instructions. You have to spend time with him, right? It's important. How many of us, we'd ask Siri, hey, Siri, you know, get me to Kansas City, right? And then there's all these instructions, how I'm supposed to get there. And you look at it once, you're like, that's it. Well, if you want to find an address, typically every turn along the way, she's like, turn in 500 feet, turn in 300 feet, turn now, you missed a turn, turn around, right? Siri's job. God's word is a conversation with us to help us direct our lives right. 
every step along the way. He watches over you so you get to the right place. You don't wind up in Detroit, right? Because who wants to go to Detroit? We want our lives to end up in a beautiful place. And so God's word directs us. But we have to listen to him. We have to turn it on. We have to spend time there so we can hear his instructions. We can watch over us. And isn't it amazing that God of the universe cares so deeply about you? He cares about every single moment of your life. Where the word in very poetic terms says he even bottles up your tears and counts the hairs on your head. I mean, God cares a lot more about you than you do. Because there's no way I would ever want to count my hairs. It's getting easier, but even so, I don't even love me that much. But he's crazy about us because he designed us to be his children. So when I spend time with God, I connect with him. It brings, get this, this is such an amazing thought, it brings the creator of all perfection joy to spend time with you. And no one else in the world can, can copy that. No one else in the world can take your space. It brings him joy. And so he watches over you. Daily quiet time is a powerful thing. It protects us in so many ways in our life. It nurtures us and gives us the strength to live a purposeful and a fruitful life. It connects us to God, to other people, and his word and the purpose. Knowing all those things, why would we ignore this? Because we're busy. Isn't it because we're busy? I've never met a Christian that says, I wouldn't want a quiet time with God. But I've met a lot of Christians, including myself, that said, I would meet with God, but I'm too busy. Today I've got this thing. Today I've got this thing. Or even if I meet with him, it's going to be awkward. I don't know what I'm going to say. So what I want to do is I want to help you. I'm going to share with you some things that I've used. When I became a Christian, I had a really hard time with my quiet times with God. Right? Um, I didn't know what to do. I, kinda, I grew up uh, Catholic, which uh, at the time, the church was telling us not to read God's Word. It was kind of like naughty because... I wasn't trained enough, so I shouldn't go connect with him. And that's fortunately changed, but when I, that was my experience. And then I had a, a Bible that I had a hard time reading, and um, I just didn't know. And the church never really talked about it. They just kind of said, hey, to have a quiet time. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? Right? In fact, they used it. They said, have your uh, daily, daily devotional. And that was a scary word. I'm like, what are you doing a devotional? Like, I devote this time. <laughs> I had no idea. So I'm going to share with you a couple of things just from my life that I've learned how to have time with God. So hopefully these will help you. The first thing I discovered how to have a daily quiet time is this, is you had to find a time and a space. Why? Because quiet times exist in reality. You can't just in your mind say, God, I'm hypothetically meeting with you today, right? That if you're going to meet with God, it's a meeting. There's a time and a space. Have you ever met with somebody nowhere? I mean, if you're going to meet with somebody, it's going to take time, isn't it? That's why we're centering our days around him. It's actually going to have to happen somewhere. When you make an appointment at your dentist, does he just say, oh, I'll just come whenever, where? I don't know, wherever it's at. No, he's like, you're going to be at my office. You're going to be at 10 o'clock, and you're going to be there from 10 to 11, and don't take phone calls, right? That's what the dentist does, because you can't talk when you're talking to the dentist, right? You're going to be there, and you do it because of the priority. If you can make time for your dentist... How much more should you make time for the God of the universe? It's set time. It's an appointment. You've got to think of it like an appointment. Right? If I'm going to take my wife out on a date, I'm not just going to be like, oh, whenever I feel like it. It's like there's a time and a place. We're going to do these things. That's what I'm going to do. Right? Because it's important. How many of us just say, oh, I'm going to take a vacation? When, eh, whenever. It's never going to happen. If you want to do something, it has to take place in time and space. This is why we talked last week about how you create 
time and space to do things. Creating a calendar, a plan to budget your time. And so we need to make sure that you make this a priority. It's a priority to God. There's a lot of value to it. And, and so I'll tell you this, that I, I know the excuse because I have said this often. Yeah, that's great, Aaron, but my world is so busy, there is no time, there is no space. And I say baloney. The God of the universe said, I've given you all of your time and I've set some of that time aside for me. Are you going to take that time to set it for me? Are you going to make it a priority? He's given you all the time you need. You say, but my world's so chaotic. Yeah. You know, there's a gal that was the mother of the, the you know, the uh, Charles Wesley. They had like 20 some kids. Like, that's a lot of kids, right? That's bigger than most youth groups, right? And then they're all ages. I mean, it was just insane. This is a busy woman. And, and she, her, her children changed the world. I mean, they've done amazing things. The Wesleyan Church, the Methodists, all that kind of stuff. I mean, did some amazing things. You know how she found her, her time every day? A time and space? She would go into the hall and take her apron and pull it over her head. And everybody knew. When mom had the apron over the head. You, you don't bother mom. <laughs> and it was light enough. She could read her Bible and, and she could do her thing. Right? It wasn't a ton of time, but she took time out. I'll say on the, on the last day, when we're talking about you know, spending time with God, and we're with people like her, or like with the apostles or who were you know, literally killed for spending time with God, or Daniel, who was thrown into a lion's den for spending time. They were like, yeah, I don't know if you made it a big enough priority. Right? And we're like, well, I would have met with him, but I needed to get to work a little early. Right? Or I had this show I wanted to listen to. I mean, we have to make time and space. This is an issue of priority. This is an issue of character. You're just going to have to make time to do it. Right? And so that's what I found for me. I had a thousand excuses. A thousand excuses. Even as a pastor, I had a thousand excuses. And they're all thin. God says this is a priority. I've given you your time. I want to meet with you. Make my priorities yours. So do it. How much time? doesn't have to be a ton. You know, uh, oftentimes, like my quiet times with God, five minutes. It starts my day with Him. But you have to make it a priority. Second thing that I find that you have to create a time and space. You put it down. It's an appointment between you and God. The next thing you do is then start with prayer. You don't have to do this. Other Christians are like, no, I want to end with prayer. That's fine. This is just my experience. I've got a list of things happening in my life, right, that I want to talk to God about. And and so it's hard for me to listen to what he has to say until I've talked, right? So when I first, I I, I have my time with God, I'm just going to be blah, 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 blah. Right? God, this is all these things that are running around my head so I can empty them out. So, so there you go. And then I'm able to listen. So how it usually starts is I'll have, uh, I use the Lord's Prayer as a good way for me to connect with them. Uh, I always start kind of praying through, uh, Father in heaven, right? your name's holy, so I remember who he is, right? You're my heavenly Father, you love me, but you are powerful and you're holy, so I'm going to have a little respect here for you, right? Right? So, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Ah, uh, yeah. Because I have all these things I want Aaron's kingdom to get done. So, so when I go through, I say, God, here's all my priority, the things that I think that have to happen. But like Jesus, not my will, your be done. Right? But I want you to hear what my priorities are right now. And if I'm wrong, help correct me. Because I want your kingdom, your will. So you have to help me out with that. But here's all the stuff. Right? And then give me today my daily bread because I've got these things that I'm worried about, these needs that we have and these, these necessities, these stuff that I care about today. And that's usually the longest part of my list. I'm like, God, I need this and 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 right? And I'm praying for all the kinds of other people that have things that I need and all that because it's on my heart. So I just get it out. Now, sometimes God says no to some of those things because I didn't really need them. And that's an answer. But if I didn't ask him, then why would I ever expect him to give me, right? So I just get it out there. I'm like, God, these are all the things I think I need. 
So that way I know that he's heard. And if I need them, he'll give them to me. Right? And then after I've talked about all that stuff, then forgive those people. Help me forgive those people that have wronged me like you've forgiven me. And I used to start, sometimes it's not just people. Sometimes people irritate me. And maybe you're like me in that. And uh, so I've got to go through and be like, yeah, I'm mad at this person. And I need you to help me forgive them. And um, sometimes it's not just people. Sometimes it's like swaths of people. Sometimes like just the government in general or like society in general, right? I'm just like, oh, society, let it burn, right? And then, right? But I got to forgive it because you showed me grace. I got to show grace to them. And I need your help with that. And so then I have that time where then I'm also like, because I did need grace. It reminds me to confess my sins because God already knows what I did and I know what I did. It's nice to clear the air. But I did this and there's nobody else around so I have to save face, right? (laughs) I did this, Lord. I did this. I did this. I need your help. Forgive me for this. Right? It clears the air. It's amazing. And uh, I think that by going to God every day and just talking to Him first, I empty myself. I empty that stuff so He hears it, and eventually I run out of words, which I know for you would say, that's a miracle, and it happens every day. And then, once I'm quiet, then I do the next part as I listen. Because it's a conversation, isn't it? Conversations aren't one way. Spend time in the Word. It's called the Word for a reason. God's speaking to you in His Holy Word. In fact, spending time in God's Word allows us to understand and listen even to His Holy Spirit because they speak the same voice. You notice that? See, the devil and ourselves and the world can do a pretty good Holy Spirit impersonation. They can trick us to do stupid things, sinful things. How do I be able to distinguish God's Holy Voice, the Holy Spirit, from all those other things? I have to know how He talks. So I have to spend time in His Word to know what God's saying. So not only I hear what he says for this timeless word, but also what he's saying to me and through his Holy Spirit. I have to be able to know how to listen to God. I have to spend time in the word, and this is priority. So how do you spend time in God's word? Well, it's a conversation, right? And so you have to treat it like a conversation. Nobody goes into a conversation halfway through. Have you ever noticed that? Or if they do, it's bad. In fact, the funniest conversation I've ever heard or been part of happened a few years back as a youth pastor. We took some kids over to Prospect Park, the Living Center thing, and it was at Christmas time. So we had some of our students that were there. And then one of our younger high school uh, gals, she was sitting, she was talking to a lady who uh, had, was talking about her teacups. And they're talking about their tea set. And so they're having this lovely conversation. And another uh, lady pulls up and hears the word teacup. And she's interested and she wants to be part of that conversation. So she wheels over there and she starts talking. And it was the funniest conversation because the first two were talking about actual teacups, like Chinese saucers and stuff like that. The other lady, I thought they were talking about teacup terriers. I have no idea why. But it took us a while to figure out what was going on. But it was so funny. She came in the middle of the conversation and they're like, oh, I love teacups. Oh, I love teacups too. Fantastic. Well, how long have you had your teacups? I've had mine like 60 years. I didn't know they lasted that long. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been passing them down to my children. What? You know? Like, well, how many do you have? Well, only one. <laughs> well, what do you do when... But people would come over. Well, everybody could hold it. We're like, what? They're like, well, what color is your teacup? Well, it's white, but it's got some red on it. Red? I've never knew they had red. Where did it come from? Like it came from China, but the, how'd they get the red? I don't know. The artist put on it. What artist? And how, doesn't they lick it off? They're like, who licked it off? The dog. Why would the dog lick off the red? It was the best conversation. I will tell you, though, a lot of times we have that kind of conversation with God. 
we come into his word and we do this something stupid. We just open it up. Oh, Lord, speak to me here. We get in halfway through the conversation and we're having a completely different dialogue with God than he's having with us. Right? We're listening to what does it say to me, not what is God saying. The way to keep us from that is we read just like a conversation from beginning to end. You start up every book. There's 66 books in the Bible. You pick one, chapter one, whatever book it is. You start there and then you read it from there to the end of that book. Keeps it in context so you know what he's talking about, right? And so when we read that, what you want to say is, what is God saying to me? Not what do I hear, right? How many of us have gotten into arguments with somebody we love because they heard something we didn't say? We want to hear what God's saying. What is, what is God's intended purpose? What is he saying here? And then how do I apply? So here's some things. When, whenever you feast on God's word, just like uh, when you ever feast on a food, you want to chew it, right? Nobody goes to McDonald's and says like, hey, a double cheeseburger, right? That's stupid. You want to chew it, otherwise you choke on it. How do you chew on God's word? How do you get the, out of it? How do you, well, there's some things that I do that, that are helpful for me. The first thing I do is I'll read just a small portion. I do bite-sized every day. So I'll do what's called a pericope, but it's really just like a little, those, uh, like a paragraph. It's, uh, it's those little headings that you have in your Bible over each chapter. It says, now he's talking about this, and you read like the next little thing. Sometimes it's a paragraph, sometimes it's two paragraphs. I'll read that, and then I'll paraphrase it in my mind. What does it say? Right? So I'll say, so like uh, Psalm 1. I say, what does it say? Well, it says that people who spend time with God are blessed, and people who don't live dead lives. That's a paraphrase, right? So then I will say, what does it mean? Right? So the saying is like, okay, that's, that's kind of the, the general point. What does it mean? Well, it means that there's value in spending time with God. It's actually it's essential for my, my health and my spiritual walk, right? So that's what it means for me. So then the third thing I ask is, how does it apply? What am I going to do about it now that I know this? Well, it would apply by saying maybe I should make spending time with God a priority. That's, that's my daily quiet time. That's how it works. And that's usually how I end. I don't end with an amen, right? Because that's weird because it's not like you're hanging up the phone on God. He's with you, right? So for me, I just have this. I'm like, okay, God, I want to I apply. This is how I want to apply it today. You can help me out with it. And that's how I go on my day. That's my quiet time. You can do it totally different. There's lots of devotional books and things like that. But if you've never had a quiet time, it's as simple as that. You go, you take a time and space, you meet with God, you, you talk to Him, and you listen to Him. Ta-da! Not so scary. So it's two points then how to do this to make sure it happens. The first one is you have to make it a priority. You will never have a quiet time until you decide to have a quiet time. You are the one that's standing between that and happening. You have to have, say your time that God's given you. This is a priority to God. He wants to meet with me. I'm going to make that a priority. I'm going to put it in my schedule, and nothing else gets to move it. Right? If it doesn't become a priority... That's never going to happen. And here's the thing about it. It's never urgent. Meeting with God is never urgent. Right? It's always important. Because it's not urgent, oftentimes we'll let urgent things that aren't important take over its space. Right? This person has to call right now. Or I have to re- send back this text right now. No, you don't. You need to meet with God. Right? That's what you need to do. If you're in a dentist chair and somebody texts you and wants to talk on the phone, you're not going to call them back. You'll be like, blah, 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 blah. They can't hear you anyhow. If you can do that for Dennis, you can do this for God. You can set some time. You say, this is a priority. I'm going to meet with him. All right? And so uh, it's not going to be natural at first. You're learning a new way of living. So make it a priority. The second thing that you need to do, not just make it a priority, but make it a daily habit. Habit is the important part. Habit is when something becomes just part of our natural life. It's when all of a sudden we've been impressed by something new and it becomes who we are. And now you're living a new culture. All right? So keep at it. Until it becomes a priority, until it's just natural, it's just part of who you are now, it's part of your new culture, right? And so, so meet with him, that's why I'm challenging us for the next four months, just be part of the church, just be here, 
during that time, why don't you start meeting with God regularly, every single day, even if it's only five minutes? Meet with God. I'll tell you what, after a while, it becomes natural. And pretty soon, it'd be something like if you didn't do it, it would feel wrong and out of place. It would be harder for you not to meet with God than it would be for you to meet with God. And that's where we have to get to. It's changing our culture to match His. So today I've talked about some important things, about how we meet with God, centering our day around Him. And it's amazing when we do that, all of a sudden, it's not just our day anymore, it's His. And God does some great things with His days, right? In fact, it just took Him six days to create the entire world. What will He do with your life? Start spending time with Him. Center your life on Him and find out. Some things that we can do to help you do that. On your back of your connection card, I encourage you to take that out. I've got some next steps to help you apply this. Because coming here today and feeling motivated but not applying does you absolutely no good. So how can you apply this? A couple challenges I'm going to have for you to begin to begin to worship God with our time, with our every day. So you'll see the first thing I'm going to challenge you to do is to memorize Ephesians 5.15. To make the most of every opportunity. Right? I think that's so important that we begin there to know what God's Word has to say. And so that's something to read, to think about, to meditate on. The second thing you might want to do is maybe you want to uh, schedule your first and start a quiet time. Maybe it's your first time, or maybe you've gotten out of the habit and you want to start again. Commit to this week. Say, God, your priority is first in my life. I'm going to create time and space every day. Intentionally, I'm going to do it in advance, and I'm going to make these appointments with you. That's something very practical that you can do, and I encourage you that you do it. How about this? Maybe you need to start a prayer list. When you go and talk with God, sometimes we get freaked out. We're like, I'm supposed to talk about all these things. Get all your concerns, put them on a list. That way you'll know what to talk to them about. It's a helpful thing to do. Or about this, maybe what you need to do, and I encourage you to do, is take the church challenge. Every week through this series, I'm going to invite you to, to join us together as we're going to come and we want to worship God with our time. One of the things God wants us to worship Him with in worshiping time is coming together as His family every single week to start the week off reminded of who He is. So next four months, I'm challenging us all together to say, we're going to be at church the next four months, right? We're going to be every week. And if you're not here, you're going to be at church somewhere. Like next week, I'm going to be in Kansas City. So I'm going to be worshiping with Kansas City folk. It can happen, right? So that's what I'm going to challenge you to do. If you'd like to join us with that, uh, two dozen joined us last week in that. And if you'd like to be part of that, let me know. I will uh, be praying for you. But also there are some uh, helpful things that I want to give to you, some tools and some resources uh, to help you make the most of these next four months. So it's not just being here, but that way you're truly worshiping as we're here. So we've all have, hopefully, some commitments to make. I encourage you to take those. And here in a minute, we're going to take our offerings. As we take our offerings, please take these connection cards along with your commitments and any of your prayer requests. Drop them in the offering basket with your tithes and your gifts. And realize that these are also an offering of yourself back to God. Let's pray for you and for your commitments, and then we'll have the worship team come and close us with great worship. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. You are the author of time, and you've given us some, and so we're grateful for it. Help us to make the most of it in a way that honors you. I'm grateful that you're a loving God, that you didn't just give us time as a, a cruel taskmaster, but you gave us time to be fruitful, to be uh, prosperous, to increase, not just personally, but also for your kingdom. So help us live for those purposes. Help us as a congregation these next four months to be unified, not just in doing the right things for the right reasons. We want to meet you, Lord. We want to center our lives on you. So, Father, help us to do that, to be a faithful congregation. Lord, I pray that you would take these tithes, these offerings, these gifts, as well as these commitments, and that you would use all of them to build us as whole, full-time worshipers of you so that you can receive the glory. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.